If you're listening into this podcast, you're joining me currently in our Advent series that we're going through in my discipleship group on Sunday mornings. This is a live recording, and so there's lots of flubs and little mishaps along the way, so just pardon that if you're tuning in. I'm excited to begin this Advent series taking a look at some of the ancient texts that we savor during the Christmas season. This week we're in the book of Luke, and we're looking at chapter 1. Most often people want to look at this account and focus in on when the angel appeared to Mary, but I want to back up just a little bit, beginning in verse 5, where we see the angel appear to two very different people, leading very ordinary lives. Before we go there, though, Scripture says a lot about faithfulness. We see in James that it says, Blessed is the man who remains faithful under trial. And we see in Luke chapter 16 that Scripture says, He who is faithful in little will be trusted with much. And then there are these instructions in 1 Samuel that say, You should only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with your whole heart. It's interesting because in God's economy, success is not measured by followers or the size of our bank account, rather by faithfulness. And today we're going to be looking at two ordinary people living ordinary lives, but because they were found faithful, God did something extraordinary through them. So join me now in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. During the reign of Herod, king of Judea, there lived a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and he had a wife named Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous in the sight of God, following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they did not have a child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both very old. So I want to say to you just right here, there's some things that stand out to me. So we're going to go back. All right, first of all, we understand that to be a priest in the Jewish nation, you had to, you were from a specific tribe. And so he's establishing his legitimacy as a priest and his descendancy because he was part of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife, so they were married. Just kind of ordinary things. At some point, the two of them had a a wedding ceremony and got married, and I'm sure they thought they would have children because that's what everyone did. But it says that they were barren. They never did, and they were very old. So I would say that in between the short sentence that says he had a wife named Elizabeth and she was barren and old, there's a little few words in between there, I would say we have a lifetime of probably disappointment, pain, and hurt. If any of you have ever known someone who couldn't have children, you know that's a very painful thing for them. And so this is a historical account, so it doesn't stop to give us a real glimpse into the heart and life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But you have a woman who was never able to have a child. And so I would say that there was disappointment, that there was sorrow, that there was, you know, those monthly pregnancy tests. I know they didn't have like a 
what is it, EPT or whatever those pregnancy tests are. They didn't have those then. But, you know, she would wait to see, was she going to have her cycle? Was her, is her stomach getting bigger? Is she, is it coming? Is it this time? And it didn't happen over and over. I cannot imagine that it would mention that she's barren and that she's old. I can't imagine that that was just an easy thing for her to accept, especially in that culture where having children was considered paramount to carrying on your lineage. And he's a descendant. He's from the priestly line. And so who is he going to continue? Who's going to be a priest in his family? There's no one because he's barren or she's barren. So first of all, I would just say ordinary people with some pain. And I think we can relate to that, can't we? We can relate to that, that we're kind of ordinary people, but we have our stories. So then verse 6, so take a look at it. They were both righteous in the sight of God, following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. Now, these are people who lived under the Mosaic law. So for them to follow the commandments and ordinances blamelessly was no small task. For them to be considered righteous in the sight of God, they're not, they weren't saved. They don't have Jesus' righteousness on them. Jesus has not even been born yet. And so for them to be considered righteous and blameless, that's significant. It, I would say that a good word to describe what it seems like this paragraph is saying is that they were faithful. They were just doing the right things in front of them. He was born as a priest. He didn't say, I want to be a priest. He was born a priest. And he took the lot that he was given in life by his birth, by his DNA and his lineage, and he just walked faithfully with that lot. But you also have a woman who took the lot that she was given, which is wife of a priest, whether she chose it or not, and no children. So she doesn't even get to mother. She doesn't even get the role that all of her peers are, are doing and, and are engaged in, not just for, you know, a few years, but for decades. Mothering is decades long in those centuries when they have many children. So you have a man and a woman who took the, their lot in life and continued to follow all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, not just somewhat, but it says blamelessly. I think that's so significant. It's so significant because you have just ordinary people. So before we ever get to the big crescendo moment in their life, we just find that they were faithfully walking with the Lord and then they were old. So they had, they were senior in years and had faithfully walked. And so I say that to encourage you in this. You may never have, I mean, you guys are in your, you know, between teens and 20s, right? And are you in your 30s? No. <laughs> 20s. So, yeah, not yet, not yet. So, so, so you're, you're, you're at the beginning kind of, of, of the process. You might just live and work and get married and have children and just do the right things. Just walk with the Lord. And there may never be a big, she, she did this or they did that, you know, big moment. God may never say, I want you to go to Africa. Or God may never say, you know, I, I want you to, to lead this huge nonprofit ministry and, and save the masses. But you may just walk faithfully. And that is not insignificant. That is not insignificant. And you should know that. And it, it's, it's so much so that Luke, who heard about them, knew that they walked blamelessly. So their character spoke about them to other people because Luke, who was just recording the account of their existence, 
made mention of their faithfulness in their walk. So I encourage you, and 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 we let's look at um, one should think of us verse one of chapter four of First Corinthians. One should think of us this way as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now that we can relate to. We're not priests, and we understand that. But that was Zechariah's role. Our role as believers is this, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, what is sought in a steward is that one be found faithful. So interesting, not successful. You may never have a make another disciple. You may never, um, you know, have like 50 notches in your belt of, oh, I got 12,000 people saved. I'm, I'm amazing. You know, I led a crusade. That's not what it says that it's required of you. It's just required that you're found faithful. Remember that. Just be faithful. Walk with the Lord. Sometimes people say, like, what should I do? And I would just say, just keep walking with the Lord. Honor him. Honor him with your life. Honor him with your mouth. Honor him with your money. Honor him with your time. Honor him with your strength. That's all it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here he is just doing his job. Got up early. Those, high, those priests had to get up super early. I was reading about this. They would go in very, very early in the morning, and um, they would be divided into two groups, and then they would cast lots so that it was never considered favoritism, who got to do what task. So while Zechariah is serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, so his division is on duty, they're up early, and they're in there. He was the one chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the holy place of the Lord and burn the incense. So he's the one and he's chosen by kind of a roll of the dice. Now the whole crowd of people were praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. And remember, it's such a big deal that they're in the, going into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God that they would tie ropes around their legs. Remember that? And if they, if they died, they'd put, drag them out because you weren't allowed in there if you weren't, if you weren't supposed to be in there. So he's in there, and he's lighting the incense, just doing his job. And you wonder, how many times had he done that before? Just lighting a match, burning some incense. So I want us to just get the magnitude of it. It would be like me getting up and baking biscuits on a Saturday morning or doing pancakes, just doing my thing. And an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, appeared to him. Can you imagine if I'm in my kitchen? Like, I want us to just sort of relate a little bit. You know what I mean? Or you're at cabin and you go in the back to get some more almond milk. And an angel of the Lord is like standing in the cooler. Like, hey, what's <laughs> up? How you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, and think about that for a minute. This poor guy is just a regular dude. And angel of the Lord is standing on the right side of the altar of incense where he's just doing his thing. And visibly shaken, Zechariah when he sees the angel, is totally seized with fear. So he's like, oh, I, mean, I don't even know what he's thinking. If he's in trouble or what, you know. But he's paralyzed by fear. And I think that's an interesting thing, interesting response. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now we get into a little more of a clue of their heart. That they were, though they were faithful, they suffered because he says, your prayer has been heard. So here's a man who was praying and asking God. He was going before God. And I say that to encourage you. What is your prayer? What is that desire of your heart? What is that thing that, and y'all are young. You're probably not praying for kids just yet. Hopefully not. I'd like to get you married first. <laughs> but what is your prayer? What is that thing that you go before God with? He hears. 
He hears. Keep walking with him. Don't walk away because you feel like he didn't hear. Scripture says a day is a, like a thousand days to him and, and a thousand days is like a day or whatever, however that phrase is, right? And, and the point of me mentioning that is this. Remember, God exists outside of time. And so when he's dealing with our lives, he's not dealing with our lives within the continuum of time. He's dealing with them in the continuum of eternity. And so for him, he understands what we can't physically understand right now. That our light and momentary affliction is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the affliction. And so when he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. You will name him John. Joy and gladness will come to you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And then the angel gives some instruction. So he's first told him, you're going to call him John. Now that was countercultural because at that time they didn't do that. They named him after the family members. So John wasn't a family name. Zechariah was the name. So this was a little bit odd. So I'm sure he's got his attention. And then he says to him, and he must never drink wine or strong drink, for he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Very interesting. Remember, Jeff has taught on alcohol for like three Sundays in a row. has come up just randomly. And... um I would just say this, you know, again, here we see established in Scripture that, yes, people drank, but he was saying this person, this individual, I want him to be set apart entirely. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it is understood based on Scripture because also we see in Ephesians when Paul was talking, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, that alcohol fills us when we overconsume it. And so prevents us from being operating within the filling of the Spirit. So it doesn't mean, Scripture does not say don't drink it, and Jeff clarified that. But we should be very much aware that overconsumption will prevent us from walking in the Spirit. So for a believer, overconsumption is never an option, period. But I think it's so interesting. He says, this guy is not even going to drink at all. He doesn't get any wine. No strong drink, no wine. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. So sorry about your luck, John. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go as forerunner before the Lord. What a thought. You got just poor old Zechariah, barren, no kids, doing his thing. And now the angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, your kid, this kid that you didn't even think you were going to get to have, not only are you going to get to have him, but he's going to turn the hearts of this nation who are questioning God at this point because the Messiah hasn't come and they haven't heard from him for 400 years. Your kid is going to be the one that announces the way for this for the Messiah. Is this John the Baptist? It's going to be John the Baptist. Oh, That's God. right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he says he will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go as a forerunner before the Lord. And I would say to you, forerunners, we, by default, because we are messengers that carry the gospel of peace, we are forerunners. You want to know what your role is in life? Just do that. Just be a forerunner for Jesus. That's all you got to do. That's it. Just do that for your whole life. And it doesn't matter what your job is, what your career is, what your husband is, what your car is, what your salary is. Just be a forerunner for Jesus, no matter where you land on the spectrum. Just be a forerunner for Jesus. Do that. Do that whether you, no matter what. That's, that's it. That's it. Simple. We overcomplicate. So he's a forerunner for the Lord. And it says, in the spirit of, and power of Elijah, he'll turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready 
for the Lord, a people that are prepared for him. This is a fulfillment of prophecy, by the way. Malachi prophesied this in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It's important that you understand that it's a fulfillment of prophecy because what the Old Testament prophesied did happen, which is yet another witness to the accuracy of these accounts. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? For I am an old man and my wife is old as well. Now, I appreciate Zechariah and I feel very sorry for him from this point forward because the poor guy is like, look, my wife went through menopause. We, she didn't even have a cycle anymore. She's old. How, is it, how, how can this be true? Now, I'm thinking to myself, if an angel of the Lord is standing in front of me telling me it, I probably am going to believe it. You know what I mean? But he didn't. But I do understand because he's like, there is no evidence and we, it takes me right back to faith as a substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. And I would say to you, what is the evidence not seen in your life for that thing that you're hoping for? And I'm not talking about I'm hoping for new patio furniture. I'm talking about these longings of your heart, the barren place in your life, whatever that is. And you know what it is. And you know what it is for your friends and those you love. And so when you look at that barren place, be reminded, be reminded that God hears your prayer and that he responds. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to get the answer that we want always. It doesn't. There I'm sure are many barren people who never have had children. But this is, this is the thing. If it will bring God glory and accomplish his eternal purposes, then he can bring it to pass, even if it appears impossible. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So when you look at the barren place, it's good to assess and say, Lord, is this a selfish desire? If this will bring you glory, if this will bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, then would you bring it to pass? Those are prayers that he's able to answer. So Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure? And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Dude, did you notice? I'm an angel. I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I get to be in the presence of God. You've never been in the presence of God. You get to go. You're lucky you get to go in the Holy of Holies. I get to go in the presence of God. You're asking me, if it, how can you be sure? I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will be silent. I'm unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So he said, look, I'm not going to let you speak again because you spoke doubt. And, and the Bible says that the tongue holds the power of life and death. And for Zechariah in that moment, his t- he allowed his tongue to speak death. The doubt is death. But I would just say to you, be encouraged that God still used that human to bring about his will. And God, Gabriel, I don't know. I kind of think he probably laughed. Like, how in the world? Do you don't even know who I Like, do you not recognize who I am? I'm God. I'm, I, I go before God. He's not God. I go before God. But I would say to us, like, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so who are we to doubt the promises of God? Who are we to really doubt God? Why do we do that? Because of the evidence not seen. So he can't even tell his wife. Yeah. You're right. (laughs) You're exactly right. He can't go out and say, this is what happened. He's totally mute. Interesting that he like paid for his unbelief, kind of. I know, yeah. But like, also, he like it didn't stop God from fulfilling the promise. That's right. But like, it stopped some of his enjoyment of it, maybe. That's right. It stopped the blessing when we when we live out of unbelief, we miss the blessing of Mm -hmm. faith. We miss the blessing of saying, "Man, I saw that angel, and I was like, yes, God came." 
he's fixing to move. And then he gets to go out and tell everybody, like, you're not going to believe what happened. And he doesn't. He's totally silenced. Such a thought. So the people are waiting for Zechariah, and they begin to wonder why he's delayed in the holy place. They're starting to wonder, do we need to pull on the rope? You know, do we need to pull him out? When he came out, he was not able to speak to them. And they realized that he must have seen a vision in the holy place because he was making signs to them, and he remained unable to speak. So when his time of service was over, he went to his home. So that's it. We don't get a, he went and told his wife, because after some time, his wife Elizabeth did become pregnant, and for five months, she kept herself in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me at the time when he has been gracious to me to take away my disgrace among people. And so now we get one more glimpse for a woman to be barren in that time was a disgrace. And so not only was she suffering because she didn't get to have children, but she was considered a disgrace. She was not considered, she wasn't even regarded among her people. And that's true. You can study about barrenness in that culture. It was a terrible thing. It was like a stigma, like a scarlet letter almost. And so she said, for five months, she didn't tell anybody. And I think, what, what an interesting thought that for five months, she kept this intimate gift from God, this, I saw you all along. You weren't a disgrace to me. I loved you from the beginning. And I heard your prayer. She kept that and just chewed on it. You know, we're so quick to want to regurgitate when we hear a little something from the Lord, like, oh, listen to what God taught me today, you know, in my quiet time or whatever. But she just kept it and chewed on it for five months. What a thought. So, so Elizabeth found sanctuary in the season of savoring God's kindness to her. And we too can find sanctuary in the season of savoring God's kindness to us. For her, it was the gift of life. But isn't it the same for you and I? That we would savor the gift of life. We savor the season of Christmas because it reminds us of the life that we have in Christ. And we can be so busy and get so wrapped up in all of the gift giving and card writing and baking of Christmas and the holiday season that we don't take time to slow ourselves and examine these historical accounts of what really happened and who God used to bring about the salvation of all mankind. Let's not miss that. Who God used to prepare the way to bring about the Messiah ordinary people. That's the position that you and I take. We too are ordinary people leading everyday lives. Nothing super crazy about us, nothing super special. But when we walk blameless, we position ourselves to be found and used in any way God would choose. Our entire life could be filled with the mundane, the average, and the ordinary. Perhaps even suffering and sorrow, they may mark decades of our lives. But God has not forsaken us. It was 400 years that the Israelite nation waited to hear a word from their God, from Yahweh. And he came to Elizabeth and Zechariah, two ordinary people who just chose to continue to believe the truth of his word and walk in accordance with it. He sees, he hears, he has not forgotten. The name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. And he remembers you. He remembers where you're at. Psalm 119, 
Verses 97 through 104 say this, Oh, how I love your law. All day long I meditate on it. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for I am always aware of them. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your rules. I am more discerning than those older than I, for I observe your precepts. I stay away from the evil path so that I might keep your instructions. I do not turn aside from your regulations, for you teach me. Your words are sweeter in my mouth than honey. Your precepts give me discernment. Therefore, I hate all deceitful actions. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What should you do this holiday season? Just walk with the Lord. Remember his word and live according to it. He'll find you in that place and he'll use you for his glory. And if you find yourself kind of in that meantime, that middle season, continue to walk with the Lord. Galatians tells us, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in the end you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Your God remembers you.